Have you ever done something that was absolutely amazing after a short period of time? I don't know, say a year? Absolutely amazing for a whole year. But then, two years after that, it's like the worst thing you've ever done. The worst. First to worst. We're talking Kodak-like. First to worst. Richard Nixon, Florida Marlins, 1997-1998. They win it all, and then each in their own ways, first to worst. I've been there. I've done that. And if you're a vintage Rule Breaker Investing listener, you've been there with me. If you're a Rule Breaker investor, you may have invested here with me. The good news, first to worst, is incredibly rare. The Florida Marlins won it all in 1997, but then one year later, they became the worst team in baseball, largely because they traded off all of their stars. But the reason I remember this is, it doesn't happen very often. Nor has it for my five-stock samplers. So, the good news, incredibly rare. The bad news, first to worst, happens. Stuff happens. It happened. Five stocks to teach rule breakers and five stocks for the coronavirus. Please join me for this special review of Palooza episode with guest stars Jason Moser and Jim Mueller. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for joining in this week. You know, I want to mention something before we go into this week's podcast that's happening on Friday of this week. So I hope you're hearing this podcast as it comes out, which it tends to do somewhere around 4 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday. Well, we have a Motley Fool Foundation celebration. It's our one-year anniversary. You're invited to help celebrate our one-year anniversary, and that's this Friday, April 14th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So I get to host a live event. You are invited. It's free. You're going to get to learn about our latest investment in financial freedom. Let's call it Three Bright Sparks in Financial Freedom today. It'll be a foolish conversation between some new rule breakers I'd love for you to meet, and little me, David Gardner. So you can register now at Full Foundation. You know, we've talked about our foundation some over the last couple of years, now celebrating our first year anniversary. We have some results and some new developments to share, and a lot of you are on this journey with me as a community. I'm delighted to report back. I am the board chair of the Motley Fool Foundation, and I'm excited about 3 p.m. Friday. So if you have some time for us, sign up for free, foolfoundation.org. All right. Well, 30 separate times, about every 10 weeks on this podcast over six years, I picked five stocks. I chose a theme that made sense to me at the time, sometimes sublime and sometimes silly. And then I thought to myself, what are the five best recommendations that I can come up with for stocks that fit that theme? Aiming, of course, always to beat the market, the S&P 500. Otherwise, hey, why are we bothering? Well, then one year later, we review the picks. And then another year passes, the two-year review. Yeah, two years later. We never forget. We hope you wouldn't also. We score everything transparently and accountably because we're fools. You've grown to expect that of us. And then the three-year review, which is going to be the most telling. And why is that? Well, 
First, because three years have passed since I picked those five stocks, we really can be smarter about what has happened and why and what we can learn. And that's the smarter part. But if I've done my job well, then we'll also be happier and richer too. And that three-year review is also telling because most of the time we end the game right there. We're going to keep holding those stocks in real life, mind you. You should do so too if you own them. But if I kept reviewing all 30 of my samplers in years four, five, and six, etc., well, we wouldn't have time to do much else on this podcast. So, 30 separate times I picked five stocks. I've called them my five stock samplers. And we're going to review two of those samplers today. Five stocks that teach rule breakers and five stocks for the coronavirus. And review them we will with my two analyst guest stars, Jason Moser and Jim Mueller. Now, I already put a spoiler alert out there right up front on this week's podcast. Get ready to witness an unbelievable whipsaw with one of these five-stock samplers, which went from the greatest performer of all time to the worst performer, all in the space of just three years. And Jim Mueller and I will talk about that on the back end of this podcast. But first, we're going to lead off with five stocks that teach rule breakers. And as I pick this group of stocks, Two years ago, this very week, the year was, of course, 2021, I was thinking, what are five companies that illustrate what a rule breaker is? You know, a top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry, a company that has strong past price appreciation, visionary leadership, companies that are perceived to be overvalued by many others, all of the classic traits of rule breaker stocks. What are some stocks that would teach that? And because I've made a lifetime of finding such stocks. There are dozens and dozens of them that I could draw on from hundreds of recommendations made over the years. But two years ago this week, I thought, let's have fun. I'll just randomize. I picked the letter A. And so we found five stocks, all of which, five companies, all of which begin with the letter A. And those are the five stock picks that will be five stocks to teach rule breakers. And here to help us learn from five stocks that teach rule breakers, my friend Jason Moser. Jason, great to have you back on Rule Breaker Investing. David, thanks so much for having me. It is wonderful to be in studio here with you. You betcha. Now, wow. discerning listeners will note that the sound quality is a little bit better. I think so. Than when it's in our respective dens, Jason. I think so. I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> Thank you. And I note that you, and this is just an audio podcast, not a YouTube production, but Jason, I'll note that you're wearing quite a forest green shirt. And because I know you're a, a great golfer, which <laughs> you really are, a former golf pro and a golf fan, I thought of the Masters green jacket, because your shirt is awfully close. Well, I wish it were a Masters green jacket, but thankfully, you know, this is the <laughs> lovely shirt that my wife gave me for Christmas, and she's thrilled every time I put it on. Wonderful. Did you watch the Masters over the weekend? I watched it all, yeah. It was, it's my favorite sporting event of the year. Any hot takes? Wow. I mean, there are a lot. You know, I, I think, unfortunately, I think we probably have seen Tiger Woods his best days are probably behind him. Just injuries, I think, have caught up with him. I think really for me, I know a lot of people wanted to make it about live. I don't really look to that. I think for me, the story is more interestingly on the golf ball side. Uh, we're seeing more and more talk about this uh, two golf balls. We have a, mm. a golf ball for professionals that doesn't go as far, and then everybody else gets to play You know, the latest, greatest technology that goes as far as you can hit it. Uh, 
I tend to fall on the side of not splitting the golf balls up. I think mm-hmm. it's it's neat that we all get to play the same equipment. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this equipment debate plays out over the next year. Before we came on the air, Jason, you were pointing out that someone like 52-year-old Phil Mickelson really benefits from the technology, the the distance that golf balls can go these days, of course, the clubs that drive them as well. So there's so much innovation that's happened in the good old game of golf that it's made us superhuman in some cases. So people are like, are these courses too short? It lets a lot of us old guys keep up, which is a <laughs> lot of fun. So I, I feel like maybe the solution is cap it, right? Don't let it go any further. And then you can probably play with the golf courses that we built at this point. There's so many ways you can defend a golf course, whether it's the rough or the speed of the greens or how wide or narrow the fairways are. So there are a lot of variables at play. I just, I don't think the golf ball is necessarily the answer. I have to admit, I have not been keeping up that well with the PGA Tour, but you were mentioning that that there's some timing concerns these days, kind of like the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. It's taking a little bit longer than it needs to. This is, after all, a television-driven entertainment phenomenon. All of these sports are. And so a shot clock is being considered. Yeah, I think uh, the pace of play is always a very polarizing issue. Most people like to be able to keep it moving. Uh, you know, they do have they do have rules in place to to try to account for that. Huh. They're not very good at, at enforcing them, David. And that's the problem. Um, you've seen what that pitch clock has done to baseball, and I think for some of us who maybe were a little skeptical of it at first, it really has. It, it's it, the pace of play is far better. I'd love to see him do something like that with golf. Ah. He sorely needs it. They, they need to pick up the pace a little bit. All right. Duly noted. And I, I will say that as a baseball fan who probably is more of a purist myself, I was not really looking forward to the rules changes. I especially didn't like that you couldn't position your fielders wherever you wanted them to because I love the analytics and I love the innovation. And, you know, having four guys on one side of the infield and nobody even on the left side of the infield, I love that, except that I have to admit, having watched the first 10 days or so of this new season, I'm enjoying watching the second baseman actually play second base and sometimes the ball going up the middle and going between the shortstop and the second baseman, which wasn't happening as much last year. So I actually think, even though it felt retrogressive to me, I feel as if the game has improved. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, change initially is sometimes difficult for us to accept, particularly with things that we've loved for so long. Uh, but then you experience it and you see how maybe some changes work out pretty well. And I, I think with baseball and golf and all of these sports, ultimately you make changes, you tweak them along the way, and it's all it's all with the goal of making the game better. And, and so hopefully that's uh, that's what they're keeping in mind. So these are both sports where you're clubbing something, a little <laughs> a little white ball with a bigger implement. And uh, so there, there are some bigger implement. I will say that between the two sports, it feels as if people can keep playing golf at a higher level much longer than baseball. But we don't need to cast aspersions or draw NVIDIA's <laughs> distinctions. Let's move on to five stocks to teach rule breakers. So, Jason, I picked this group of stocks, this basket, two years ago this week. It was April 7th, 2021. Five stocks to teach rule breakers. I've already mentioned that these all start with the letter A because we're having fun on this podcast. And you have taken the time, and thank you, sir, to revisit these stocks now. Two years later, and for each of them, let's focus on the 
the top reason in your mind, Jason Moser, that the stock has done what it's done. We'll also be covering the numbers and the performance because that's what I do. And we're going to go through these, Jason, alphabetically. Are you ready? I'm ready. Good. Alphabetical by company name. So the first of the five, and I'll just mention right now, the five in order, we're going to be talking about Activision Blizzard and then Aerovironment, Airbnb, Apple, and Axon Enterprise. Those are the five stocks we're checking in with. Again, this is a three-year journey, and we're just at the end of year two. So they have a year to improve their performance. Let's kick it off with Activision Blizzard. Jason, this stock, two years ago, $96.84, $96 a share or so. Today, 85 The stock is down 12%. Now, the S&P 500 is up 1.1%. That's the bogey we're competing against. Jason Moser, the market's been basically flat over these last two years, up 1%. This stock down 12%. What's been happening at Activision Blizzard? Head- what hasn't been happening at Activision <laughs> Blizzard headquarters? There's been a lot going on. I mean, this one really is right now. It's very tied to, to Microsoft's efforts to acquire the company uh, outright, which, um, I, you know, I, I think ultimately my belief is we will ultimately see that happen but right now there's still plenty of uncertainty out there in regard to the deal and it is a reminder this was an acquisition announced in January of 2022 uh, in Microsoft's intent feels like a long time ago <laughs> I know. It, it actually kind of was a long time Close ago. to a year and a half I guess uh, so yeah it has been a little while um, but but it is they, they, they made the offer at $95 per share um, and so right now you know the big concern is is on the regulatory front, right? Which is understandable. Antitrust concerns and plenty of reviews going. This is a global business, and, and so it is not something that is tied just to domestic regulators. And with that in mind, uh, we recently saw UK regulators drop their concerns as the company continues to try to do what it can to make the deal happen. There's still a very big sticking point with Sony. And I think that makes a lot of sense because Sony is obviously a very big competitor in, in, in this regard with its PlayStation, right? You have Microsoft with Xbox and Sony with, with PlayStation. And, and the big concern there is if Microsoft acquires Activision Blizzard and then makes all of that content exclusive just to Microsoft platforms, well, you can understand regulators' concerns there. Sure. Call of Duty, which is one of Activision's many best-selling titles that have been around for so long. Imagine if that went console-exclusive just to the to the Xbox. Now, it seems unlikely. Like To me, if I'm the CEO of Activision Blizzard, which I'm not, although I've met him before, I'm thinking, I want to sell as many copies of this game as possible. Why would I actually not sell to the biggest platform of all? Sony's PlayStation 5. I even see some of the Microsoft lobbying efforts to suggest that PlayStation is almost a monopoly at the high, high end of consoles these days with its exclusive content. So it's a really interesting world. But for me anyway, I don't think it's in Activision Blizzard's best interest just to sell on Xbox. No, I I fully agree. And I don't think we will see that happen. I mean, I agree with you. You'd want to try to get this content out to the biggest audience possible. That's just normal, right? I mean, think of something like a Netflix, right? They just want to get that content out to as many people as want it. And so I think that's ultimately what we will see. And I think what we're seeing is with regulators, with companies voicing concerns, they want to ensure that that won't happen, that that Microsoft won't build kind of that walled garden once this deal uh, finalizes. And I think in that case, you know, if, if you Google the news here, you'll see another headline every day, Activision Blizzard inks another deal with certain distributor for 10 years. They're going to get this content out. They're signing agreements to make sure that it's not something where they do build ultimately that walled garden. Uh, And so when you see shares today 
at $85. That's clearly a discount to the $95 acquisition. Now, it's also uh, a, a good bit higher than the 52-week low for Activision Blizzard, which is around $70. Yeah. So I think we're starting to see the market buying into the notion that this deal will ultimately happen. When you mention that low, Jason, I mean, it sounds you know a fair deal lower than 85, that low of 70, but really that's not a very volatile stock, especially during a very volatile year or two. Because of Microsoft's offer, it's kind of created a trading pattern for Activision Blizzard, ticker symbol ATVI. Basically, it's just been bouncing between 75 and the low 80s pretty much for the last year or so, waiting to see if this deal would be consummated. I will mention... Uh, when the deal was initially announced, as you mentioned, January 2022, the stock bounced from 65 to 85 overnight. But it's been going sideways for a year and a half now, which has not helped its performance for my five-stock sampler. I was not premising a buyout when I picked this stock back in 2021. Again, April, two years ago this month. But that's what's happened. So we're sitting here on a stock that's down 12% with the market up 1%. And therefore, Activision Blizzard starts us with a minus 13. We're in the hole on this sampler. Let's move on to stock number two. As I mentioned, next alphabetically is Aerovironment. Now, ticker symbol AVAV. Jason, not one of the better known companies in all of corporate America today, but what does Aerovironment do? Yeah, well, this is a fascinating little business, right? They have to deal with some very well-endowed competitors but they continue to build out this strong line of products on the cutting edge and things like unmanned aircraft systems, tactical missile systems. I mean, this is real deal stuff. That the age of drones. <laughs> not everybody can do it. And I think that's one of the neat parts about this business. And, and it is just a tiny business too, right? It's a small cap. It's a true small cap. With I think the market cap is just over $2 billion. Um, but, but when you think about a business like this and you think about what they do, uh, you would – probably lean to thinking that a lot of their revenue is generated from government partners, right? And you would be right. Close to 60% of their sales in 2022 were thanks to the U.S. government. And they also have considerable exposure as well to foreign militaries as well. So when you put it all together, I mean, this is a business that is very tied to government spending. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing either. It reminds me a lot of Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a company that uh, I follow here. And in the near term, you know, it, it's kind of sleepy. But over the long haul, you see how it really pays off. And, and I think that when you look at aerovironment, you stretch this thing out over five years, it becomes a little bit more obvious. The returns on this uh, stock over the last five years better than 125%. So patience has paid off. Uh, but but it's 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 a business. They are not immune to the supply chain uh, issues that we've been mm. dealing with. And they are not immune to the inflationary concerns that we've been dealing with. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the conflict in Ukraine is something that has really impacted this business in some ways good some ways bad right i mean this is this is a a company where you see a lot of their a lot of their equipment being used in this conflict but by the same token you're also seeing department of, Def of defense spending shifting uh, they're allocating their resources a little bit based on what they need as the conditions evolve. And that impacts this business to a degree. Uh, again, that is a near-term concern. That's not something that will last forever. Uh, and they, they are continuing to invest heavily in research and development, which is the lifeblood of a business like this. Uh, so I don't hold that against them. 
but all in all, I think that it, it's one of those businesses where you really do need to stretch out your timeline and look over longer periods of time. It makes a lot more sense to hang on to these. Well, shows. we can't really do that with a five stock <laughs> sampler when I make it a three year game. But as I mentioned at the top, if we made it truly a long term venture, I would never be doing anything else on this podcast but doing review of Paloozas, which I don't mind. It's fun. I get to hang out with my friends and talk stocks, which is a lot of the reason this podcast exists anyway. So again, thank you for joining in with me, Jason. I'm remiss in not mentioning the performance of this stock. It was at $113-ish two years ago. It's now at 106 ish So this stock is basically down 7%. The market's up 1%. It did have an upgrade from Raymond James earlier this month. It's a rockin' stock if you're just looking at April, but overall down 7%. So sticking with my numerical accounting here, Jason, we're minus 7 versus the market's plus 1, so it's 8 points underwater. We're going to add that to the 13 points underwater that Activision Blizzard has set us, and we're starting with a minus 21 as we move on to stock number 3. Now, stock number three, the ticker symbol is ABNB, and this is a much better known company than AeroVironment. Jason, do you ever use Airbnb as, I don't know, either a customer or maybe a landlord yourself? Why, David, I have done both, as a matter of fact, and I just stayed at an Airbnb last week when we were on spring break with the family. I'm so glad I picked this stock two years ago and then had you review it this week. It's kismet. So Airbnb is a service that you, you've really enjoyed. Very familiar with it, yes. And you know, it's, it's funny, I was talking with Chris Hill just the other day about this. Uh, last year, we had the good fortune to take our family to France for spring break. We stayed at an Airbnb, and we Ubered everywhere. I came back with the realization that Uber passes your snap test, David. Great. It can't go anywhere. It is too important. And that really led me to dig into it and ultimately recommended one of my services here. Great. I got back from spring break this year with the same feelings on Airbnb, David. I really do believe that not only from the consumer's perspective is it, is it an important business, but it is also an important business from, from our business landscape here uh, domestically and, and really internationally, right? This is a global business. Jason, thank you for calling out the snap test. You know I appreciate that on this podcast. In fact, one of my past five stock samples is five stocks that pass the snap test. But that's not true of this group, although it is true of Airbnb. The snap test, of course, if you snapped your fingers and a company disappeared overnight, would anyone the next day notice? Would anyone care? And the stocks that I favored, I think I can say here we favor, Jason, are companies where everybody would notice and a lot of people would care. Presumably, they'd be heartbroken if their favorite purveyor of a product or a service that they treasure disappears and that is gone. And so, those are often, in my experience, the companies that you want to own in your portfolio over long periods of time. Now, Airbnb, with a market cap of $75 billion today, is no spring chicken, even though it's a younger company than many other public companies today. Here's the problem I have with Airbnb, Jason. I picked it for this five-stock sampler two years ago this week, and this is the single worst performer of the five. So, I regret to say that Airbnb was at $180 a share two years ago this week. Today, it's around $114 or so. So, I have to admit, this one's down 36%. The market is up 1% as we've been talking about. So, this is 37 percentage points more of negative alpha. And really, on its own, Airbnb has exceeded, if you if you combine the badness, the mediocrity of Air, Air Environment and Activision Blizzard together, Airbnb has been even worse than those together. What is, in your mind, Jason, the number one reason that Airbnb has underperformed to the extent that it has losing about a third of its value 
in the last two years. I think with a business like this, it really, more than anything, it's timing. I think with a business like this, valuation is is often going to be one of the bigger near-term risks. Uh, and, and, and let's you know put this into perspective, okay? Airbnb IPO'd in December of 2020. So, I mean, from that perspective, still a very young business, getting its sea legs, learning how to live life as a publicly traded company. But it's worth noting, Airbnb opened at $146 per share on its first day of trading, more than double the $68 per share price set at the IPO. Now, this is so much enthusiasm that it actually took Airbnb's market cap beyond the size of another one of your favorites, Booking.com. Now, think about that for a second. Here you've got Booking.com brought in $6.8 billion in revenue in 2020, immensely profitable, proven, massive network, tremendous business. Here comes Airbnb with its $3.4 billion in revenue in 2020, still working its way to meaningful profitability. And now the market is telling you it's worth more than Airbnb or than, than, than Booking.com. Uh, I love the enthusiasm. I think that one day it is worth more than, than Booking.com. Um, I think there was just a lot of enthusiasm when it went public. And I think that's kind of what took the valuation maybe a little, a little bit ahead of itself at the time. So, I think the good news for investors really is I think it's just a matter of time, right? I mean, there was a lot of enthusiasm right when this company went public. Uh, but when you see what the business continues to do, I mean, revenue in 2021 was $6 billion. 2022, they grew that to $8.4 billion. Net income in 2020, it was a loss of $352 million. In 2022, they brought that up to $1.9 billion in net income. So, again, it's a business. They're doing the right things, right? I think this was just a, a matter of the market maybe – being a little bit over-enthusiastic about the IPO. You know, it hurts a little bit, Jason, because I was watching the stock and did recommend it for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. It had hit 220 (laughs) in February of that year. And so, two months later, it was April of 2021, and I'm like, look, this thing is now down from 220 to 180. So, I felt like I was patiently waiting. And yet, admittedly, Clearly, I got it wrong, at least in this two-year period. It's lost a third of its value. But I hear general bullishness from us both here, Jason, that Airbnb is one of those businesses that clearly passes the snap test to me and one that we want to own over the longer term. Do you own shares yourself? I do not yet. Jason. I do not yet. But I will tell you that I, I agree with you on the snap test. This is absolutely a snap test stock. And you know, in talking with Chris Hill about it the other day, and I told him about coming back from France and digging into Uber, you know, coming back from spring break this year. And, and I, I feel the same way about Airbnb. To me, this is just one of those businesses the world is not going to be able to do without. And so, and so I think that, you know, like we love to say, the longer you can stretch out your investing timeline, the better your chances. And I think for investors owning this stock today, regardless where you bought it, uh, I think this is one you want to hang on to for as long as you possibly can, because it's making a big difference in the travel. All right. Well, mark it down. Of course, every one of the podcasts that we've done here at The Motley Fool is permanent. (laughs) Whether it's a Chris Hill-led Motley Fool money or I started this podcast in 2015, everything that we've said is out there forever. So, we're on record here. And we're never going to make a short-term prediction. And arguably, even a three-year game of the five-stock sampler is a shorter-term game than we actually play in our portfolios. It makes it a little bit more of a fun game. But Airbnb, you and I both like here at $114.62, which is where it's trading as we speak here on Tuesday, April 11th. Okay, well, let's move on to the last two, Jason. And speaking of companies that pass the SNAP test, stock number four alphabetically, I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys before. Apple. 
Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar? Yeah, sounds have you ever familiar. tried one of their products or seen anyone using one? Uh, maybe you have one or two lying around the house. <laughs> <laughs> Apple is a phenomenal business, isn't it? It is. And fortunately, it was part of this five-stock sampler because I'm happy to give the numbers right now. Apple was at $127.90 two years ago this week. It's now up to 161 and a half. So the stock's up 26% with the market up 1%. That gives us a plus 25. By the way, I didn't account for Airbnb, but when you added in the minus 37 that Airbnb was bringing to this five-stock sampler, we were at 58 percentage points in total underwater. So getting back 25, thanks to Apple outperforming the market by 25 percentage points, sparks joy. It does spark joy. Um, I mean, this is an amazing business in in virtually every respect. I mean, it, just what they've done through the course of history. Um, I mean, you talk about your snap test. This this is leading the pack, right? This is this is this is it. Uh, I, I I you know, Apple to me, it's kind of like pizza. You know, it's kind of like pizza. I mean, it's not always going to be great, right? It, like any other company in the world, will witness times that are more challenging than others. It's not always going to be great. But you know what? Hey, it's still pizza, right? And hey, this is still Apple, right? And so even when Apple witnesses challenging times, it's still Apple. Let's not forget that. I mean, you look at the holiday season that they just turned in, and I think many would probably focus on the fact that revenue was actually down 5% for the quarter. And, and to, to think of a company like Apple with revenue actually shrinking, wow, what happened? Well, as we said before with, with AeroVironment, I mean, this is a company, they're not immune to the supply chain issues, right? They're not immune to inflationary concerns and, 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 and whatnot. And so they, they have dealt with those challenges. But you know what? The good news is while revenue was down 5% of the quarter, there was still $117 billion of revenue that they chalked up for one single quarter. And a lot of this is increasingly software and services and the hardware, which is always still how most of us should, I think, think about Apple, those smartphones, uh, that hardware, the, the iMac, the MacBooks, the iPads that I have in my house as well are all hardware. But a big focus for Apple in recent years has been on services. Yeah, well, the watches, the AirPods, all of it together. You know, it's I forgot tremendous. my watch. I've got that on too. Of it's course. this tremendous ecosystem. And, you know, you, you can be a little bit of an Apple user or you can be a lot of an Apple user, right? I mean, I have an iPhone and I have a Windows laptop, but everything works together. We've got some Amazon devices in our house. I mean, the beauty of Apple, and I think you really keyed on it there with the services. For the longest time, we've recognized Apple as primarily a phone company. That's where most of the money came from. Uh, but slowly, they've really done a great job of diversifying away from just being the phone. They now have an installed base of over $2 billion devices around the world. I mean, that's that's just astounding to think about. And, and ultimately, what that allows them to do is grow that services business. That services business recorded revenue of just under $21 billion for the quarter. That was up 6% mm. from the prior year. And presumably at higher margins than you'd be able to sell hardware at. It typically is. It typically is. And, and you know, I think the, the nice thing about Apple is it's so premium. It's such good stuff. They are able to maintain some good pricing on that hardware as well. Well, you see a lot of companies kind of hardware is a little bit of a race to the bottom. And with Apple, it's it's not really that way, which, which I think it, it gives it a little bit of extra of extra staying power there. But in regard to services, they have more than 935 million paid subscriptions across all of the services on their platform now. That's up more than 150 million during the prior 12 months. And it's nearly four times what they had just five years ago. So you're seeing the results of all of these investments into growing 
that ecosystem beyond hardware. Uh, and along the way, they've been very shareholder friendly. They continue to repurchase shares. Share counts down 16% since 2018. That'll continue. And while the dividend yield today, which is under 1%, sure, that seems modest. Let's take the glass half full approach here, David, and understand that that dividend yield will continue to grow over time as well. So mm. even big companies can still continue to grow and reward shareholders. Two more things to say about Apple before we move on to the final stock, which for the record is Axon Enterprise. And I'm kind of smiling about that. And we'll talk Me about too. the numbers in a sec. But but I'd like to just note that Apple, first of all, as a market cap, is literally 1,000 times Aero Environment. So Aero Environment is about $2.5 billion. And Apple is about $2.5 trillion. And that leads to the second point, which, and I think this is very instructive, since these are, Jason and everyone listening, five stocks to teach rule breakers. I think one thing we can all learn is that there is a connection between what I think of as the world's greatest brand and the world's just about greatest stock performer over the course of now more than a couple of decades. So, those things are tied together. I truly believe that companies with great brands are often mistaken. For one thing, brand doesn't really show up on the financial statements. I mean, you can do some goodwill if it gets acquired, this or that, but the things that are invisible to people who are looking at the financial statements or dialing their computer algorithms to look for certain numbers or ratios, they're missing brand. And yet, the companies that often have the greatest brands often, and Apple is a great example, are the greatest stocks that you could hold over the course of a long period of time. So, Apple is front and center for me, one of those exemplars that do teach Rule Breakers, a stock that we've had in our services for well more than 10 years now, and a lot of happy Motley Fool members owning Apple. And I'm happy to say, Jason, as we go here to close with Axon Enterprise, that Apple has been a stock that you wanted to hold these last couple of years. The market, again, up 1%, Apple up 26%. Let's close with Axon Enterprise, ticker symbol A-X-O-N. Axon Enterprise was at $147.27 a share when I picked it on this podcast on April 7th, two years ago. It's gone from $147 to $225, just about even. That's up 53%. I'm going to ask you that in a sec, but to account for the numbers here, that 53% gain minus the market's 1% gives me a plus 52. That's exactly what I need for this five-stock sampler to be beating the market two years in. Now, let's be real clear. This game is not over. It will not be over for another year. I personally am pretty bullish on a number of these companies, so we'll see where how it plays out. I'm also excited because what's coming after you which is Jim Mueller talking about my worst five-stock sampler ever. I am celebrating. I am looking for the light right now and basking in it with my friend in his green master's jacket, well, shirt, right across the mic from me. But, Jason, what's been happening for Axon Enterprise? Well, thank you for putting me on the on, on the good side. Absolutely. You, you just look like a winner to me. <laughs> well, Dan, I must admit, I, I, I was following your lead on this one, because Axon, I actually recommended shortly thereafter in May 2021 for our augmented reality service. Awesome. Uh, so, obviously, very happy uh, with, with the returns. Very neat business in, in the virtual reality training tools that they offer. Uh, and for folks who don't know what Axon does, I think you'd probably be more familiar with it if you just said Taser, right? Right? I mean, they are the company behind uh, the Taser uh, stun weapons, right, that, that we see police yep. forces carrying. That used to be the company name. They yeah. changed their name. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, the neat thing about 
Axon, you know, this is this is a top dog, which I know is, you know, a trait of a rule breaker, right? This is a, this is a top dog. And you really can't, I don't think anyone can really name off the top of their head the closest competitor to Axon. They really do own this market. And so I think that's given them the leeway to be a little bit patient in how they develop and develop this business. And I think a lot of the strong performance is really coming from not only this market leading position, but a strong and growing recurring revenue dynamic, right? There's not just the hardware side of the business, but there's the software and the services that they're providing uh, law enforcement so they can keep track of what's going on and have that visual uh, documented proof that they may need in certain cases. Uh, You go back to April of 2021, annual recurring software revenue at the time, it was $242 million, Mm -hmm. which represented 39% growth from the prior year. You go to 2021, for the full year beyond just April, that full year of 2021, that recurring revenue was up to $327 million. 2022, they grew that revenue up to better than $360 million. And this is higher margin revenue, right? Kind of like Apple with the services. This is kind of like Axon services. So it's higher margin revenue. It's growing very quickly. And finally, I mean, this is just a business too. They continue to invest heavily in research and development to the tune of around 20% of total revenue every year. Makes a lot of sense to me. They understand their market leading position. They're investing in that dominance. And I expect their performance to continue. Well, thank you for that, Jason. And this is a company, I'm so glad that you brought it to Augmented Reality Motley Fool members. And certainly for Rule Breaker members over the years, this has been a stellar performer. In fact, all of these companies well predate for Motley Fool members in their portfolios, the pick that I made two years ago on this five-stock sampler. Basically, every stock I ever picked for a five-stock sampler, we picked before then somewhere in one of our services, often at much lower cost bases like Apple. But that's irrelevant to the five-stock samplers and to listeners who are following these, because all that really matters is what happened from that point forward. So, from that point two years ago this week forward, again, Axon, the star performer in this sampler, up 53%, the market up 1%. Take it all in all, after two of the three years of five stocks to teach rule breakers journey, they're up 4.8% on average, the market up now 1.0% as we speak. So, happy to say... 3.8% on average, beating the market largely on the strength of just Axon and Apple, the other three underwater. But we'll see a year from now. Jason, you want to hang out with me a year from now this week? Count on it. I'll be here. Let's talk it through. Five stocks to teach rule breakers. We'll close out a year from now, but we're not sending this one to Fulhalla yet. There's 12 months <laughs> ahead of us. So, Jason Moser, great to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us again on Rule Breaker Investing. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for having me. Well, from I think it's fair to say this sublime, I'm not even sure 3% outperformance per stock is sublime, but compared to what we're about to do from the sublime to the ridiculous, in so many different ways, five stocks for the coronavirus have been ridiculous. I want to welcome in my friend, longtime Motley Fool analyst, Jim Mueller. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Yeah. So, you know these companies. And I know a little bit about them. Yeah. Enough to explain yeah, what enough, you're about enough to, to. Enough to go on what's what's happening. And yeah, so why did the stock do what it did? And that's what we're going to talk about. But before we just reflect on why, let's say, Peloton, the first stock we'll talk <laughs> about, why Peloton primarily did what it did over the last three years, it's, it's necessary briefly to remind everybody what happened 
over these three years. And obviously, five stocks for the coronavirus being the name of this five stock sampler. It was this very week, three years ago, April 8th, 2020. And most of us were under lockdown or were about to be under lockdown. There were lots of unexpected things happening in the world, Jim. It's almost hard to get back in that mentality. People have said we may never get away from the coronavirus like the flu. It may be here the rest of our lives, but at least the sense of pervasive fear in some cases, obviously huge human loss, which is real, but also just that lockdown, the change of how we do business, which kind of stays with us even to this day. Jim, you and I are here in Full HQ in Alexander, Virginia, in our lovely studios today, but still many of our fellow employees here at The Fool are working from home. And that's not just true of The Motley Fool. That's true of so much of the working world today. Yes, I think. Uh, and it's likely to stay that way for a while. But And and this ties into, I think, why many of these companies have, uh, have fallen so badly, um, is that humans are human and we're not we're not tech we we like the personal interaction there's all the body language that comes through and it's and and it's not just seeing the person's from from the middle chest up right there's there's all kinds of other stuff that goes on and there's the spontaneity of 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 meeting and just talking with people before we started recording you and I were were chatting about uh wineries in in the state and we wouldn't have had that we wouldn't have scheduled zoom time to talk about virginia exactly. wineries Jim. exactly yeah so well and that that certainly is true so i do think that we're we're being whipsawed as a culture um 9 to 5 you know every day for decades and decades and then no office at all and then trying to find some kind of hybrid middle space some remote some not Lots of businesses uh, have had people working there all the way through. Sometimes here in the greater Washington area, Washington, D.C., we're surrounded by a lot of lawyers, lots of other information workers, forgetting that so much of the rest of America, there's manufacturing, there are baristas, there's healthcare. There are so many of our fellow Americans who every day have gone to an office for years now. And paid, and paid the price in both getting sick and the worry and the stress and all that. Yeah, God bless them. I mean, certainly grateful for all of that that sacrifice and, and necessity. I mean, for a lot, if that's your job, you need to go in and serve coffee to others if you want to be a barista and earn a paycheck. So, of course, we're all coming from different places. But these five stocks, after a single year, check it. You can go back and listen to me probably crowing on this podcast two years ago this week, as a group, these five stocks averaged a gain of 240-something percent after a single year. Just incredible. And so April of 2020, when, when you picked these, was right near the start of the pandemic. And uh, I, I can't remember. The market had been crushed. The market, yeah, market was crushed. March, it was in, horrible. What, February, last half of February and first half of March, it went down, what, a third. A third. The fastest it's ever dropped that that much. And people were just freaking out and buying up toilet paper and stockpiling this and that. And I remember that. those days. Oh, man. And we thought that we'd be like that forever and ever. And this, this is one of the biases of being human in that it's, it's called recency bias. And we think that what's happened recently is the way the world is going to work from now on. And I think a lot of that got baked into 
many of these companies, Peloton, Teladoc. I mean, you're never going to go to your doctor's office again. You're never going to go to the gym again. And so these companies, I mean, Teladoc was actually the worst performer of that group. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a sec. <laughs> but, but Peloton was up 290%. Okay. And now it's down what, almost 60%. Well, let's so, get into it right now, Jim, because that yeah. is stock number one in this five-stock sampler. And this five-stock sampler started on April 8th, 2020. We're sending it off to Fulhalla this week. Technically, it closed out last week. Uh, the market was closed on Good Friday. So, 4 slash 6 2023 are the final prices for each of the stocks I'm quoting. And Peloton is alphabetically the first of them. Down to the letter P, Peloton, I picked 27 and a half three years ago. It closed out last week about 11 and a half. So, you mentioned, Jim, the stock had been up more than a triple after its first year, and it gave all of that back. It went from near $100 a share down today to 11 and a half, where Peloton sits. The market, by the way, the bogey we're competing against, the S&P 500, is up 49% over that three-year period. It's astonishing performance, really, especially when you consider what happened those three years. But the S&P 500, which has a lot of industrials and other companies, wasn't necessarily as coronavirus-proof initially, but as these stocks whipsawed all the way down, stocks like Exxon started looking like much more of a safe haven than otherwise. Jim, what happened to Peloton over these three years? So, Peloton, as you know, sells these high-end bikes, uh, exercise bikes, uh, standing bikes, okay? And so, and and they were video linked to, uh, you, you could watch uh, a trainer Running through a through an exercise uh, through an exercise routine, and you could follow along, and the trainer would be cheering you on, and and there'd be other people. And I feel like you're using the past tense, Jim, but this is still true well, today. Yeah, yeah, they still they you still can do, do that today, yeah, they, and I hope tomorrow they still do this. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so with all the fear and uncertainty, uh, nobody wanted to go to the gyms, nobody, and and with the six feet distancing and all the super cleaning and everything else, and. Uh, not even knowing if breathing the same air would would get you sick and all that stuff. So, having the idea of a of a home gym uh, was a, a fantastic thing, and Peloton just ramped it up. And really, management kind of overplayed it mm. and and thought that hey, this is going to be the way it's going to be. The recency bias, right? And we can keep on selling. We can sell more bikes. We can sell more subscriptions. And 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 then the pandemic kind of ended, mm. right? And we got back into the gyms and we got back into seeing people and exercising as a group and running on trails. Well, that, that, was, that was also going on during the pandemic. But yeah. the, the whole idea that no one would ever go to the gym again turned out to be false. And indeed, looking at the stock chart, and I highly recommend, use your favorite stock chart app or come up to us at fool.com and look at the stock chart for PTON, but we're talking about a stock that three years ago, again, sort of right around 40, and within that first nine months from 40 to 160. So basically, it was a four-bagger. And then, Jim, 160, it was still right around 100 as of Halloween of 2021. It had dropped 160 to 100, a cavernous drop 
as we entered Thanksgiving of 2021. The stock free fall from about 90 to 55, and then just a slow drop below 20, and it's been bouncing around 10, sometimes single digits here, Jim, for the better part of the last year. Now, I personally find myself interested in the stock down here at this level, but hey, I was the guy who liked it way higher than this, so of course, I guess it would look better to me at 11 and a half. Well, it's uh, certainly not growing like it did back, mm. back in the heyday. Yeah. Um, New CEO. It, yeah. In, in, uh, the year, for the year ending March of 2021. I'm just this, this was the best 12 month period they had. Yep. They grew revenue by 156% and that was uh, that was almost a double over the revenue growth over the year prior, 81%. March 2022, 4% mm. revenue growth. 156 4. Yeah. Okay, no wonder the stock is down so much. Um and they've shrunk revenue for all of 2022. Uh their cash flow from operations has been negative. Uh, they've had six quarters of slowing revenue growth from 156 all the way down to 4%. Still growing, but not nearly at the pace they did. And they've had to issue debt because they're not bringing in the cash from their business. And so now equity has fallen. That's that's the net worth of the company, assets minus liabilities, has fallen from $2.4 billion a year ago to just $30 million mm. this year And at, at the end of December. And it's it's sad. I mean, Barry McCarthy, the new CEO you mentioned. Yeah, he he basically said we we can't be all things to all people here. Right. We need to batten down the hatches and really get this business to a point that it's sustainable. Yeah, he he was a solid CFO at Netflix from 1999 to 2010, and then did a stint at Spotify, the same role, CFO, 2015 to 2021. And he was appointed the CEO of uh, Peloton in February 2022, and he came in and says, "Oh man, we've so he has a bunch of subscription business." background, yeah. Netflix and Spotify. And he says, okay, we've got to close down a bunch of manufacturing because we're losing money on the bikes and what else you have. Focus hard on the subscriptions. And But even now, subscriptions are growing. They've been at 6.7 million members for each of the past uh, four quarters and not really growing uh, growing that. Well, thank you for that, Jim. I mean, we could go deeper on Peloton. Certainly for Motley Fool members, we have discussion board. We have uh, ongoing analysis about stocks like Peloton, which I picked for rule breakers. I've got one more thing to say. Sure. Um, there are glimmers of good things going on. Uh, operating expenses are down significantly, which you need <laughs> for, for this company. Uh, but it's in a deep hole. And if he can pull off a turnaround, if McCarthy can pull this off, that would be incredible. But, you know, Warren Buffett's quote is kind of ringing in my head. Buffett has uh, uh, said, when a management with a reputation for brilliance tackles a business with a reputation for bad economics, it's the reputation of the business that remains intact. Mm. I'm afraid that might be what's going on. We'll, we'll end up being uh, what happens with Peloton. So, yeah, the numbers, the truth of it is, with the market up around 50% over these three years and Peloton down 58.5%, well, uh, this five-stock sampler is already in trouble, and we haven't even gotten to the other four. Jim, let's go to the next alphabetically. Roku, ticker symbol Roku. This stock was at $87 plus three years ago. It closed last week around 64, down 27%. Jim, in your mind, what is the top reason to explain Roku's 27% drop over those three years? I would say increase in competition in streaming and uh, advertising businesses. That, that would be the main reason. So Roku uh, 
sells these devices that turn almost any TV into a smart TV. Do you have one? No, I do not. Okay. And I do. Happens. I've got like four. And that's part of the problem. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, they get, so they get some revenue from that, but they get a lot more revenue from uh, selling advertising on the various uh, uh, streaming and TV television that you're watching. And they have their own proprietary section of the screen where you can buy products and stuff and I, I don't know what all, but uh, <laughs> I told you I don't have one. <laughs> you, you sound so, a little skeptical. So no, no, because they, they what they do is it's a great bundling of all these services for streaming, and they give it to you in one device, and you have a one-stop shop. But you also have uh, Chromecast and a, and a and a and a phone. Okay, that's how I watch TV. Okay, I. I open up the app on my phone and I cast it to my television. Yeah. Nice. Okay, you have the Apple TV, which is another uh, desktop device that turns your TV into a smart TV and offers all kinds of things through Apple TV. You've got streaming on Disney and Disney Plus, and now they're ad- adding advertising to Disney Plus. You've got uh, Hulu, which has always been in advertising. You've got Discovery. You've got Netflix, who uh, had to start adding advertising. So now everybody is doing targeted advertising which is what Roku was doing. Yeah. And so competition is ramping up. I mean, Roku wasn't uh, was actually slightly better than Peloton at the one year review, 300% versus 290. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, who's counting? Right. But <laughs> after the 2 year review, Peloton was down by a third while Roku was still up by about 20%. And, yeah, that's and not the been, case anymore. Right. It's only been the last year where these other uh this other competition has has grown up, and and uh, uh, analysts are and analysts and investors are worried, but it's still doing well. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's point out that the stock was around forty as this year started, and today it's sixty four. So right. depending on when you entered, I hope you didn't enter with my five stock sampler three <laughs> years ago. Although if you had, that first year was amazing, and maybe you sold, but. This is a volatile stock. This is a business with a market cap of about $8.5 billion. It's been all over the map, but mostly down, not up the last three years. But it's it's a vital business. Uh, they're yeah. not about to get run out of out on the rails. It's a brand that people know, and uh, we like convenience, typically yep. as humans. We are, as you mentioned earlier, we're humans, not robots. So things that make our lives easy, I think Roku's one of those. Yep, Roku's uh, users, the number of users they have uh, using their stuff is up. Sixteen uh, percent over uh, to seventy million users over sixty million the year before, and it was up forty percent that year. Uh, the hours streamed, the total hours streamed over their devices, up twenty four percent in twenty twenty one, up nineteen percent more last year in twenty twenty two. Over almost ninety billion hours total streamed through the Roku device. Now That's the company's not profitable, which is part of the problem, right, Jim? That is part of the problem. Uh, their uh, their average revenue per user is pretty much is pretty flat, but uh, but a growing platform. It's a growing platform. Uh, the platform revenue, which is all the advertising and content distribution, that's up twenty percent revenue wise uh, last year. Uh, the Roku, the the device revenue, that's that's what the that's uh, so they're, they're shifting more towards the advertising, much much more towards the advertising than the device revenue. Okay, but as as I said. They're competing with Netflix, with with Disney, with Apple. It's going to be a struggle for this company. Yeah, it's the kind of company that might get bought out by somebody else looking to 
take leadership or build a big business. In a lot of ways, Roku does what my PlayStation 5 or Xbox do. They also have media apps oh, where I, I can just about that too. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean so so there I mean it's it's a big world out there. Everybody's streaming these days. They were especially Jim streaming during the coronavirus <laughs> and uh, and what a first year it was for Roku. But let, let's keep moving because we could go deeply into the misery on all of these and probably spend way too long crying, at least I would, over the performance. But there is a little bit of bright light here. The third stock we're talking about, this is the one that's up. The one that went, if, if Harry Potter was the boy who lived, C Limited was the coronavirus stock that actually went up. C Limited, Three years ago this week, $45.45. The stock closed out last week just over 84, up 85%. Not nearly enough to save the sinking ship of five stocks for coronavirus. But I guess, Jim, what was C Limited doing right where it seems like everybody else was doing wrong? Well, they've expanded into some things that uh, are still going strong. Uh, E-commerce, uh they're now, they now have $7.3 billion of revenue, up 774% versus three years ago. Gaming, uh, and, and remember, this is all in Southeast Asia and uh, Latin America. That's what C-Limited stands for. S-E-A right. is Southeast Asia. A lot of people probably think this is a shipping container company. Right. Ticker symbol, by the way, S-E. Right. Uh, so 63%, uh, about two-thirds of the revenue comes from Southeast Asia, about... A sixth of the revenue, 16%, comes from Latin America and the rest from other places, uh, mostly the rest of Asia. Uh, But gaming is their only profitable segment, uh, generated $2 billion of operating profit and out of $3.9 billion of revenue. But that revenue is up 240% over where it was three years ago. Fintech, though, they started off at Fintech at just barely anything, at like $9 million. And now they uh, brought in $1.2 billion in fintech revenue last year. Fantastic. And if they can get that profitable, uh, the, this, this company will but do these really are well. PayPal-like services when you yeah. say fintech? That's yeah. what we're talking about. Um, apps and moving money around via apps and computers. And okay. Stuff. Well, we're going to keep moving here, Jim. But C-Limited, again, with that plus 36, I want to make sure I get my math back here. So, Peloton down 108 percentage points to the market, and Roku down 76 percentage points to the market. So that's minus 184. C-Limited giving us a plus 36 back the other way, which makes you feel like maybe we can make a comeback here. But no, it's going to get a lot worse from there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just... Go ahead. C-Limited was also your biggest, the biggest winner after after the one-year review. So 420%. Incredible. Really, so, really. What what an incredible year st- the stock market provided for oh these man. kinds of companies from spring 2020 to spring 2021. So what I think is hurting it right now compared to two years ago is that it's still cash flow negative. And last year, the market really turned sour on all kinds of companies that were cash flow negative. Okay. All right. Well, the last two, we're going to do them both together. And you can speak out one side of your mouth for each of these, Jim. But the headliner is that Teladoc, ticker symbol TDOC, and Zoom Video Communications, ticker symbol ZM, one, a, yeah, Teladoc-based company. The other, the world's video platform to communicate with each other during the coronavirus. Both of these companies were stellar performers in 2020, but both Teladoc having gone from 139 to 26, and Zoom having gone from 117 down to 70. We're talking about stocks that have declined 80 and 40%. 
respectively, again, against a market that's up 49%. These have contributed mightily to the misery of five stocks for the coronavirus. Jim, give me a little bit on what happened to Teladoc. So Teladoc, again, was a pandemic's going to change the world and how we interact. Yeah, I was grateful to be able to work with the doctor remotely when I couldn't go into their facility. Right. But I'd rather meet with my doctor in person. I think so, if you're going to have an annual physical, which, yep. by the way, we all should, I do think it makes more sense to be there in person. Right. And so revenue, just like with all these others, revenue growth, which was in double, high double and triple digits year over year, has slowed way down. Uh, it, it from a high of 120 percent. I'm sorry, 127 percent for the year ending June 2021. 18.4 percent last year, and they're guiding just nine percent revenue growth for this mm. year. And anytime a, a company management pulls back the revenue growth expectations like that, the market's not going to like it. And so uh, things have just uh, not done well for that company as far as the share price. And Lavongo, it, this was a yeah, merger uh, as well. Was, that turned out to be a major mistake. They wrote down almost the entire purchase price. Both of those stocks were rule breaker picks. Yeah. And I loved it at the time. This is one of my full retsu where one of my companies works with another and they buy each other out. But And it looked good. It looked like it, the right move at the time. It did. Uh, TDOC, Teladoc uh, paid $18.5 billion for Livongo in 2020. Last year, they wrote down 13.4 of that. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's a... That's not a cash loss this year, but it's cash they spent two year, three years ago that uh, has turned out not to have been worth spending. And that hurts the company. And they're really struggling as a result of that. So Teladoc, Jim, now with a market cap, and this includes having folded Livongo Healthcare into it. Teladoc market cap of just $4.2 billion. It's so smaller than, than Peloton, and this is this is the forefront of the Teladoc industry. And less than twenty five percent of what they paid to buy Levongo. It's so wow, smart. yeah. So I mean, again, telehealth for me feels like something the world benefits from and will continue to use in an increasingly virtual world, a data driven world where we can learn a lot without having to be in person with each other. I mean, I guess you still, I still want you to give me a blood test. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that myself, although some others can do that themselves. But I feel as if, Jim, telehealth was additive. It brought something, it has brought something new into the world, which some people can use and it's it's beneficial. And yet, wow, has it ever been degraded and devalued? Definitely. For those who find it hard to take the time to go to a doctor, it's a lot easier to go into a conference room with your computer and call them up on the screen. Yeah, a feverish child on your knee. Exactly, and th and that's that's fantastic. And for uh, where you need expertise from an expert halfway around the world, that that's fantastic. But for everyday doctor visits, there's there's nothing. I I I, I think the idea that we're going to be working from home forever is it, we're slowly going to creep back into the office because we want that human interaction. We want that uh, look a person in the eye face-to-face -face rather than over a screen. Well, the five-stock sampler I covered earlier with Jason, that one still has another year to mature and do even better. This one is a closed book. But before we fully close the book and send five stocks for the coronavirus to Fulhalla, I'm going to give the final numerical accounting, but I'd love for you to speak to Zoom. I don't want to give short shrift to arguably the best known of all of these five. So, Jim, what has happened to Zoom, ticker symbol ZM, over these three years? Or maybe more aptly, what hasn't happened to Zoom? It's right. been such an important service for so many people. For so many people, hundreds of millions of, of users. 
most of which uh, were family people talking to each other and, and so on. But For free? For free. I'm going to concentrate on the paying customers, okay. the companies uh, who were uh, paying. And, and the Motley Fool is one of them, by the way. We were early days. Years. We've been for years right. a, a paying corporate enterprise customer. So they, they track – they have a metric called customers uh, with 10 or more employees. Okay. Okay. And these are small companies or very, very large companies. Yeah. And at the end of Q4 2020, which was January 31st, 2020, they have a fiscal year ending at the end of Okay. January. Odd fiscal year. Yep. Okay. Uh, they had only 82,000 of these co- uh, these companies paying uh, for for their services, that was the very beginning of the corona uh, of the pandemic. Okay, in fact, I uh, don't. When was when was it announced? Like February or something? Anyway, yeah. When when the shutdowns happened, their user base for companies exploded. It went from eighty two thousand to four hundred sixty seven thousand a year later. Okay, and that's ju- that's just incredible. Uh, and they got rewarded by the stock market for such phenomenal growth. Unfortunately, that growth can't continue. 2022, a year after that, 510,000. And now, most recently, just this last January, only 478,000. So, okay, so sort of flattish numbers flattish. in the face of just incredible growth. Jim, I'm looking at right. just the revenue numbers. You know, all they were going from basically kind of 50 million a quarter to all of a sudden 750 million exactly. a quarter at the height. So this is a company that is maybe the poster child for the coronavirus whipsaw. Like when I think of all five of these companies and what happened to them over the last three years, and this has not been true of all of corporate America. These are rule breaker kinds of companies, often lighter business models, often with higher multiples and higher things expected of them. This is maybe the ultimate, like it was up so far and now down so far. And I think that your word expect of them is the le bon mot, oui, oui. a good word, uh, the, the important word of the sentence in that the stock market is forward looking. You bet. And so we're, we're looking at what we think will happen in the future. And with such a huge amount of growth, and again, that recency bias during the pandemic, we're all going to be working from home forever and ever. Of course, the market expected more of the same. And when that, that, that didn't happen, the market had to readjust. And that's what has brought the, the stock market, the stock price back down. That, I mean, I mean, Zoom's not in trouble, okay? They have $5.5 billion in cash and short-term investments on their balance sheet. Uh, wow. $5.5 billion, billion just sitting there on the balance sheet. Okay. They have less, just under $100 million in leases. That's all their debt. Mm. Okay, just leases, okay, which they'd be paying for like corporate headquarters and stuff like that. Okay, they don't have any debt. I don't think they've ever had debt of any large amount, if ever. Okay, they're they're still generating over a billion dollars in cash flow from operations, over a billion dollars in free cash flow. So they are very much going concern. Yeah, the market cap for the company just over twenty billion dollars today. Right, but. The expectations have ratcheted way back, and therefore the share price has ratcheted way back. And Microsoft Teams has grown like gangbusters just as much as Zoom mm. has. They Microsoft Teams had 20 million daily active users at the end of 2019, about the uh, where, I, where I ticked uh, Zoom. And at the end of 2022, 270 million, so up 13, 14-fold. Okay? But Office... A lot of companies, even the small ones, are paying office, paying for Office, and Teams comes free with Office 
Zoom you have to pay for. Understood. You know, ironically, Jim, as we finish with the tail of the tape for this five-stock sampler, I think what happened, because you're talking about expectations, and I think you're spot on with that. Am I right that our expectations were not that a vaccine or vaccines would show up as quickly as they did and then become deployed worldwide and we would actually open the world back up, not that it's fully opened up yet, faster than anyone expected? Is that, is the good news for society, maybe ironically, the death knell for this five-stock sampler? Could very well be. Um, The speed at which the vaccines came out only happened because we had had 20 or 30 years of research behind it in developing mRNA technologies and learning how to, how to, yep. how to work with it. Vaccines would take three years to develop under previous, the previous technology. And so the expectation was that we'd be locked up for so long, uh, we'd go stir-crazy. And, and, uh, but uh, the, I, th- I, th- I truly believe that you're right. The speed at which those vaccines came out and the speed at which they got pushed out to a large percentage of the population uh, here in the U.S. and Europe, uh, to some extent into China. Yeah, it was astonishing. It was, it was incredible at the speed at which it happened. And I think that's a great thing for humanity. And it not crushed so, the multiples of not these. such a good thing for the <laughs> set of stocks. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We're, we take our medicine in every way on this <laughs> podcast. So as a basket, to close out, five stocks for the coronavirus averaged losing 24.2%. Now, that doesn't even sound that bad to me. I mean, some of these, again, Teladoc is down 81%. But good news, C-Limited is up 85%. Anyway, as a basket... They're down 24.2% over the three years. The problem is the market over those three years up 49.3%, which means, take it all in all, this is the worst performing five-stock sampler I ever did. 73.5 percentage points per stock behind the market averages, uh, which eclipses my previous worst total, which had been five stocks for the age of miracles, my biotech picks, picked in April. Is this a bad month for me? 2019. They had lost the market by 65%. The good news is the majority of my samplers beat the market, and most of them really beat the market. Silly. In fact, Jim, I hope this doesn't sound defensive, but I was looking over another April sampler earlier today in preparation for the podcast. Longtime listeners will remember April the giraffe. Yup. The giraffe that was born on YouTube and was named April, but I leveraged off of that important news by picking five stocks that spelled out with their corporate names, the first letter of each, April. And I'm really happy to say five stocks for April, the giraffe, that was in April 2017. It ended in April 2020, but we keep holding these stocks, Jim. So when I reported on five stocks for April, the giraffe, and I probably was crowing in April 2020, as I announced, they were up 90.6%. Mark was up 22.8%. So we won by 67.8%. But importantly, we keep holding these stocks. And so stocks like, I don't know, Axon Enterprise, which were up 237% back then, are now up 885%. And so this is the key takeaway for me keep holding these kinds of companies. Now, if they never come back and they're already way down, it won't matter that much because as long as you're not adding to them, which I never do to my losers, it really will become irrelevant. But if you keep holding five stocks for April, the giraffe, for example, what looked like a really good sampler becomes spectacular 
over the course of time. So a little bit of positive light here shining at the end of this dark, dark tunnel. Five stocks for the coronavirus. And I would add, spread your investments across a wide net. Yeah, we're not just building little five-stock I mean, portfolios yeah, here yeah. at The Fool. These are samplers. I mean, if you only had, if your entire portfolio was these five, you're hitting life. Okay, but if you have 30 or 40 or 50 of these things, yeah, 10 or 15 of them have crashed and burned and might never come back, but 10 or 15 of them are doing really, really well. And it's that kind of mathematics. The most you can lose is 100%. The most you can gain is infinity. That is true, and that is profoundly important to understand. If you're going to be what Jim and I are, which are investors, by definition, actors over the long term, I say make a lifetime commitment to the stock market. You will be amply rewarded. Well, you sure weren't by five stocks for the coronavirus, <laughs> so it's time to send this one off to Fulhalla. And Rick Engdahl has painstakingly selected the saddest music you'll ever hear to send a five-stock sampler off to Fulhalla. Rick? And Jim, as that sad music continues to play, I want to thank you for helping me in good times and in bad. This was a hard time that we shared together. There have been many good times in the past. There will be in the future. I firmly believe so. Thanks. Well, from the top of this week's podcast, I let off with the phrase, first to worst, and indeed, it it's how I want to close. I really do feel like it's rare that you will see in your life first to worst happen, whether we're talking about sports or business, or in this case, the stock market. It does happen, but it's rare. It did happen this week. We had a winner, five stocks to teach rule breakers. We'll trust the year ahead for those stocks will be even better. But we also had our single worst performer ever. And it's one thing to watch bad stock picks just sort of start out bad and keep going down and have a bad three years of it. But what is so astonishing about this group is that after their first year, they weren't just up. They were up by far more than any other sampler has ever started, with the stocks tripling on average after just a single year. So to report at the end that these stocks went truly from first to worst still has me scratching my head. But we need to own up to all of the good and all of the bad. The good news is, for foolish investors who are playing the game, as Jim mentioned, diversified, and as I'll always mention over the long term, you will be guaranteeing yourself happy As always, endings. people on this program have may have interest week. in the stocks cool. they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.